Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the LaRouge Rugby Podcast. I'm Stu Hardy, joined, as always, by Derek Brissett. Derek, hope you enjoyed the long weekend. We got to enjoy another Arrows game, as well as the other games of MLR and the Vancouver Sevens. What did you make of this weekend? Yeah, the weekend was good. Uh, obviously, tons of rugby, um, a little bit, as you said, holiday weekend, so some family time mixed in between the rugby there. Um, the weekend was great. I am just absolutely. Why is it snowing? No idea. It is currently yeah. Monday, the 18th of April, and it is snowing. It's snowing. Why? What? What is this? Um, and it's yeah, like, Jesus it's has not- risen. The snow has fallen. Yeah, I was gonna say that's the uh, the, the old uh, the old holiday classic, right? I'm dreaming of a white Easter. Yeah. Um, what like uh, this? And it's it's not even like it's like I'm used to like the random like oh it's gonna snow a little bit melts instantly there's like a good like i don't know i guess what like two three inches of snow outside right now yeah i have like i have no idea what's going on uh climate yeah, change no, but, is real and uh the future I, looks I, interesting to say the least. <laughs> yeah i have no idea so i was like i don't know so good weekend i'm kind of disappointed by that i'm also disappointed that moon knight has continued to not have any rugby references in it yeah, British. Maybe character. next week. Maybe next episode. That's what I'm I'm hoping for. But um, so the snow and uh, lack of rugby references in Moon Knight continue to disappoint me. But yeah, no, crazy. Imagine like it, it would be hilarious if the arrows had to like play in this. Like if this was because two days ago when we were at the game, like it was nice and sunny. I wasn't even wearing a jacket outside. I just had like a sweater on. It was great. And now it's yeah. snowing. Yeah, I think well the game started uh, pretty quiet, but then it got a bit windy and. Uh... I think a few people were getting their jackets on or purchasing their arrows hoodies from the uh, <laughs> Toronto Arrows shop. Available. Yeah, that's the smart thing. Is like think about it. They should be stocked up on uh, the the winter jackets and the toques at the game just in case it starts randomly snowing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we'll yeah. get, some, uh, get some of that merchandise sales up just from necessity <laughs> of the the mass weather turns that we get here living in uh, southern Ontario. Yeah, well, speaking of the game, I think it's time to talk about the Arrows versus NOLA matchup. So, uh, before we begin uh, the game itself, we have to talk about uh, NOLA's lineup because there was a very um, last-minute change for the number 10, wasn't there, Derek? Yeah, I kind of... um, I wanted to bring this up because I think it it comes on the backs of Friday prior to the game or prior to, I guess, every game um, in the MLR this weekend, the Rugby Network put out that clip of George Killebrew talking about players' names on the backs of jerseys and why he wants them. It's like a 45 to a minute long clip, I believe, 45 seconds to a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's across all the Rugby Network social media. And, And that obviously led to some debate about whether or not we should be putting names on the backs of jerseys in mm-hmm. MLR and probably to a greater extent rugby leagues around the world. Yes. And, you know, we've talked about this topic on our podcast before. And I think, you know, I think we're both in agreement that names on the backs of the jerseys is the way to go. Correct. Yes. Or, yeah. yeah. I was I just said, just, I thought I would just double check and make sure that you're no, I'll, I'll be up uh, before um, I'd say probably around like 2020. I think mm-hmm. the issue with having names on the back which was emphasized with Austin was it needs to be done well. Otherwise it looks amateur. It looks 
bad. Yeah. However, the- since 2020, obviously, um, that game against Toronto at the start of the 2020 shortened season, you know, Austin were going through a very uh, fast turnaround from becoming Austin Hurd to becoming the Gilgronies. Um, you know, new kits were being introduced. It wasn't just the names, it was the numbers as well that were coming off. It was a very yeah. rushed job that had to be rushed because of this. Um, however, if you look at what's happened this year with both Austin and LA, their presentation is far more professional. The writing yeah. is uniform, it's very clear. There's no yeah. there's no like uh light. Uh, colors on white or dark colors on black it allows um, names and numbers to be identified much better so I so my position as always when I said um, why there shouldn't be names on the jersey I said oh it's the tradition of uh, no names because no one name is above the team however that tradition comes about from the amateur days when you were not getting paid and therefore um, things like kit costs were very low, so you only had a certain number of jerseys available. And if uh, one player wasn't playing, they'd have to wear the other jersey. Doesn't matter if they fit a medium and this jersey is a double XL. That's <laughs> what you're wearing. But um, and you know this debate was sparked on social media, especially on Twitter. And you know you had people um, giving their opinions from both sides, and you know every opinion is valid. Some people saying that. Um, yes, you have to follow a traditional thing. It's not about the uh, player. It's about the position they play in and that number that represents. And then you have people who've come from a North American sports background who say, if you want to build stars like they've done in the NBA, in the NHL, in MLB, so on and so forth, then having the names on them gives it a unique selling point. It also helps identify players to uh, new fans, which I think is very valid. And uh, so my thoughts on this is that if you are having an American league, you have to appeal to American fans, not just rugby fans. Yes. But Um, well, no, that's what I mean. (laughs) The Americas. Yeah. Um, Okay, so, yeah, so that's kind of where the debate started. And I think this game between NOLA and Toronto, George Killebrew um, was the voiceover in that video. And I think if George Killebrew wants to make that happen, he needs to send video of this game to every single team in the league as an explanation for why they need this. Yes. Um, Because, so, as you kind of mentioned, you talked about some of the tradition there, right? Rugby Mm -hmm. is obviously a very traditional sport, and a lot of those traditions are great. However, like I think at a certain point you kind of need to evolve a little yeah. bit. And I think I think we kind of reached that point because I believe watching this game, as you kind of mentioned there, Stu, right? The argument, the idea that nobody's above the team, right? Yeah. Um, which isn't true, anyways. I mean, it's from especially not from a marketing standpoint, anyways. No. Um, but if you want to like, if you take that argument, right, and it's true, it's a hundred percent true that rugby, the numbers, unlike every other sport in the world, maybe in the world, I don't know, but unlike most of the North American sports that we're accustomed to, the NHL, Major League Baseball, NFL football, you know, so NBA basketball, so on, so on, 
the numbers in rugby don't identify the individuals wearing the jersey. No. They just they just identify what position that player is playing, right? And you kind of brought up, you know, some there's some people that you know lo- love the tradition of rugby and want to defend that tradition of rugby. And I t- honestly totally get it. I totally get that, right? You, you're old school. You want to see no names on the back, the numbers one through twenty three only, right? That and there's nothing wrong with that opinion. That's like a solid. Yeah. Like there's nothing wrong with that. But I think at the same time, though, as cool as that tradition is in rugby, I also think it's absolutely detrimental to anybody's ability to market the game. Yeah. And I think you kind of look at, because I saw, I remember like, you know, looking at some of the comments on, you know, the rugby networks, various social media feeds, scrolling through this, some of the discussions that we got into over this. One of the things that was suggested by people was like, well, if you want to know who the players are, you should just look up the lineup card. And what this game presents to you is, well, what if the lineup card is wrong? Yes. Right. It doesn't help you at all. Like, so if you were to be like, you know, um, this, the story that George Killebrew told was he was at a game. There was a parent and a child. He at with that. He was talking to, he asked the child who their favorite player was. The player couldn't, the child couldn't come up with a name. Yeah. Right. And my initial response to that was like okay so the issue is is that even if that child just said something to generic like my favorite player is number 10 right the issue Mm. is that number 10 could be a different guy next game yes the issue in this is like if that child said my favorite player is number 10 i want to look up who that is right you think they would think they've been cheering for robbie coleman for the past 80 minutes yeah right and you you look at the way that this this game breaks out so first of all like Whatever the lineup change was, um, the fact that you don't notify the broadcast can't happen. Yeah. Um, for, if you're Major League Rugby, right? Because it's like if if you want to talk about building the game and growing and marketing and stuff, and it's like you have to get the players' names correct, right? You yeah. know what I mean, right? And you know, at, like you have like it, it, which is important, but like you can't. Like, what are you supposed to do if you don't tell the broadcast crew, right? Like, it, uh, yeah. and, you know what I mean? Like, it's, and that's what I mean. Like, um, like I think like Killebrew, if he wants names on the backs of jerseys, I think this is a good game to use as an example, right? Yeah. Because you have, it. you probably have an hour or maybe not an hour, but like what, 30 minutes of the game. So maybe an, an hour, 30, 45 to an hour of real time minutes, I guess of, you know, Jamie McKenzie and Brian Spanton referring to the NOLA's 10 as um, Robbie Coleman, right? Yeah. And in no way is it their fault. Nobody told them, right? So in, in no way is it their fault, but that is what illustrates the problem with, like, if you're trying to sell the game, it's like, how are new fans supposed to know who the players are when nobody knows who the players are? Yes. You're right. Like, nobody in general, like, because it's like, even like watching the game, it's kind of like, you know, you could see some comments being like, I like there was, uh, you know, some comments online just being like, I know enough to recognize that that isn't Robbie Coleman because yeah. Robbie Coleman has a distinctly different hairstyle than Nick Feeks. But yes. I didn't know enough to be like, I don't know who that is, though, but I know it's not Robbie Coleman. So it's but like if, if diehard fans, if broad, like if it's that tough to recognize, the diff- like, what do you expect us to people to go off of if you don't? like make announcements that you're changing your lineup. Yeah. Right. The Like recognizing players. 
Yeah, like, and, and that's really, and that's the thing as well. New fans to recognize guys. Like, yeah, I, and that, it, yeah, because that's the thing. The last thing you want to give new fans is want, to make it hard. Want, yeah, it's like here's it's some hard. homework you have to do. Mm-hmm. Like, so oh, who's your favorite like, player? Oh, uh, number nine. Cool. But Who like, are even, they? Even picture like just a simple situation here. It's like say you you don't even ident- notify the broadcast, which is crazy that no yeah. they didn't get notified. That's can't happen. Um, but like. Yeah, it's crazy that they didn't get notified. But like, even if they they weren't, if you have names on the backs of jerseys, at least Jamie McKenzie and Brian Spetta can look down and see Feeks written on the back of the player, right? And maybe and make the adjustments and be like, oh, like there's obviously been some sort of late change or whatever, and figure it out. Because it's like the way Nola, like the way that this happens, right? You don't know who's playing ten, right? Feeks moved from eleven to ten, right? So then your next question is who's playing eleven? You yeah. eventually find out it's Ross Depperschmidt. The next question is who's wearing, wearing 22 sitting on the bench, right? Ends up being Jenkins. But it's like, that's, so you have, like, it's a chain of like three guys that are just flat out wrong on the team sheet. And ultimately what this comes back to is it's like, you know, the, there's always that that question, right? Let's like, whenever, um, it kind of goes back to like one of the, one of the things, right? Whenever like a big name player signs an MLR, Foden, Bastaro, Nanu, Rob Shaw, whoever, right? Those like super um Wasaki Nahalo signed with New York mm-hmm. this week, right? That's a big one. We'll talk about that a yeah. bit later, I'm sure. But it's like whenever you have these big name players, the cynical point of view is that well, no one in North America knows who they are. Yes. Right. And and that's why I'm like. Because it's like you could watch an All Blacks game, and you're gonna have no idea who any of the players are unless you know the All Blacks, like unless you've been a fan for a while, right? Because they don't have, especially like remember, like even like the 2015 World Cup where they did like the blackest jersey ever, and like yeah. the players, the players were even wearing the same boots, like the boots were all black or whatever. It's like there yeah. was nothing to like distinguish players like from each other if you yeah do, you know, yeah you I remember that blatantly yeah. recognize them. And I think that's the right. And like, and you know what I mean? And if, if we're going to take that, if people take that view of it's like, like non-new coming over, isn't going to sell to like non-rugby fans because non-rugby fans have no idea who Ma Nanu is. Right. It's like, what chance do non-rugby fans have at identifying the difference between yeah. Feeks and Robbie Coleman without yeah. something. And I think it kind of goes back to, there was, cause obviously let, let's go back to what, what you said earlier, Stu, um, especially for an MLR point of view, right? If you want to sell the game of rugby in North America, you have to, you have to take certain North American approaches to yes. something. I mean, like, look, just look at the fact that we have hydration breaks during yeah. MLR games. And it's ad money. It's nice. Yeah, it, no, exactly. But alternate, that's the alternate thing. Jersey. How many teams are pumping out alternate jerseys all the time? Oh, yeah. I, th- yeah. I, think every, I think every team's going to produce a city jersey. Every team should. Every yeah. especially especially hey old glory you're gonna win in them yeah yeah the alternate jerseys going alternate I think you mean yeah. only jersey yeah only jersey let's rock it cherry blossoms for the rest of the year boys let's go okay but the point being right is like if you look at North American sports and how we treat our athletes right the number is the biggest identifier for a lot of our athletes right you think um no right if I say number ninety nine who am I talking about Stu? 
Oh, you're no, not. I didn't. Yeah, you're gonna lose your Canadian citizenship. Uh, I, I, yeah, my, my connection's gone. Uh, you have to, to say number twelve. <laughs> 12, Tom Brady? Tom yeah, Brady. absolutely. Okay, there we go. 12, Tom Brady. Stu, you're losing yeah. the Canadian Yeah, yeah. Ni- 99, Wayne Gretzky. You yes. know, I know. All okay, I was going to say, you're. if you don't know the answer to this question, you're losing your Canadian citizenship. And you're also ruining my point, which is worse. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you go that 12, Tom Brady, 99 is Gretzky, 23 is Jordan, right? Yeah. Um, we look at this past weekend, April 15th, Jackie Robinson Day. What's the yeah. tribute to Jackie Robinson? Everyone wears 42. Years. Everyone wears 42 because that's how we associate the numbers. It's the number is everything. Yeah. Right. Um, even going back to um, like, you know, most sports teams in North America, they have the names on the back tradition. It's been a, it's been that way for a long time. A couple holdouts, for example, the New York Yankees. Right. Um, the difference though between the New York Yankees and say like a rugby team is that Aaron Judge is going to wear 99 every game. Yeah. Right. That's his number. It comes back to 99. There's two acceptable yeah. answers there, I guess, too. Just to uh, trip you up, I'll give you another 99. <laughs> um, but it's like Aaron Judge, you know, Aaron Judge is number 99. Similarly, though, Derek Jeter for the Yankees was number two. Right. Yeah. That whole. Right. So it's like you always knew who they were. And to kind of continue on that theme with Jeter being number two, you'll notice that no Yankee wears the number two right now. Right, because in North American sports, one of the absolute highest honors that you can get from your team, whether it's baseball, bat, hockey, whatever, mm-hmm. is getting yeah. your number retired. Yeah. That is the biggest honor that you can get from your club. Right. Yes. Um, Toronto Maple Leafs, you cannot wear 13. You can't wear 93. You can't yeah. wear 127, 14, so on. Right. Because they're retired. It to yeah. honor the great players that wore those numbers, right? Rugby, you can't do that. No. Right? The number, for all intents and purposes, from a marketing point of view, is useless. Yeah. Right? It just identifies what position that you wear. I, yeah. Even further, for like marketing thing, it's like if you ever see like a hockey player sign an autograph, right? It'll yeah. be Sidney Crosby, mm-hmm. and then it'll put a little 87 next to it, mm-hmm. right? Because the number is tied. Similarly... Do you know when, out of curiosity, Stu, do you know when Sidney Crosby's birthday is? I do not, but please enlighten me. Yeah, it's on his jersey. It's August 7th, 1987. That's why he wears the number, right? The only reason I know that is because he wears, the numbers in every other sport can be so personalized to that player that they become attached to that player and therefore fans become attached to him. Rugby obviously doesn't have that. And because no. rugby doesn't have that, there is no way to identify individual players in this game, right? Which I personally think is detrimental to marketing because you don't necessarily, on any given day, whether the lineup sheet is correct or not, on any given game, you don't know who's wearing a jersey. Right. Even diehard fans. It's like, why do we make such a big deal about when teams put the lineups out? It's because even as diehard fans, we like you'll see that on social media, if a team hasn't put their lineup out in a timely fashion or when we expect it, people start like, you know, like at so and so team, where's your lineup? Because even as diehard fans going into a game, we don't know who's going to be wearing which number on a game by game basis. Right. Yeah. Um, which is which is a problem. And also, like, you go even kind of further into it. If we're talking about marketing, talking about going circling back to that idea that, like, 
people in North America don't necessarily know who Ma Nanu is, yeah. right? And it's like, yo, does that come from this? The fact that there's no true global superstar in rugby, true global, and I don't mean like Anton Dupont is super popular among rugby fans or something. I mean, like, even if you've never seen a game of rugby, you are aware of the existence of this player. Yeah. Right. Um, similar to like everybody knows who Serena Williams is, um, yeah. even if you don't watch tennis at all. Right. Yeah. But, you know, is there one of those players? And it's the fact that there's nothing to identify these guys on individual levels. A part of that you even I look at like other sports, too. Right. You look at boxing. Yeah. Right? There's two in boxing. There is two people in the ring. Right. And even still. If you turn on a fight in the middle of the sixth round, right, you can easily identify who the fighters are because they have their names on the trunks. Yeah. Right. It's easy. Even, um, you know, our our old co-host, Dan. Yeah. And Murphy love to randomly bring up curling on this podcast. Yes. So let's shout out curling, a sport that has four people on a team. They don't wear numbers. They wear cozy looking little like knit sweaters that still have their names on the back. Yeah. There's still something to identify who is participating in the sport. Yeah. And to every, every, every comment that comes back as being like rugby is bigger than, you know, the, the team, the team is bigger than the players. The players are big. It's like, that's fantastic. Yeah. It's like that attitude doesn't have to change. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, you can be, look, football is an, it's a team game. Hockey, yeah, yeah. The team game. Yeah. Basketball. Everything's a team. There's all soccer, t- the team games. Yeah. Right. But you can still market the players on an individual level and you probably can succeed at that. Yeah. As George Killebrew said, he wants to create superstars. In yeah. order to create superstars, you have to know who the guys are. And yes. I think even at, like, I guess my one final point would be like, I think, for example, I think a guy like, whether he's doing it on purpose or not, I think a guy like Andrew Quatrin is really smart. Um, he's got a podcast talking about the arrows and their the teammates and stuff, but he also has a super unique hairstyle yeah. that um, arrows fans pointed out that they saw him at a Blue Jays game because mm-hmm. they just the Rogers broadcast happened to pan across him, right? Yeah. And everyone's like, "That's Andrew Quatrin because he has a very unique yeah, hairstyle yeah. right now," and it's like. When you watch, at least when you look at Andrew, Andrew Quatrin has something about him that it's like when you watch a rugby game, you know where Andrew Quatrin is at all times because yeah. he's he's doing something to build up his own mark. Whether he's doing it on purpose or not, it helps. But it's like you need you need names. Like yeah. so, in all honesty, something would happen this past weekend with the NOLA lineup yeah, yeah, should yeah. be considered unacceptable from MLR standards. Yes. To not relay us to not relay a significant lineup change to the broadcast, to mm-hmm. the fans in attendance, yeah. to the, anybody else watching shouldn't be considered acceptable if you're looking at growing the sport yeah. and creating superstars, creating named players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first step to that, in all honesty, and George, if you're listening to this or whatever, you're the commissioner, man. Next, make it a rule. Yeah, make make it a rule. Just be like you have to put names on the backs. Yeah, and figure out it'll be and figure out an if there's a money issue, figure out how to make it economically work. 
it also goes into the idea that fans at the very least be able to buy custom jerseys with players. Yes. Yeah. I think that's something that the league should be looking into and who knows, because if MLR wants to appeal to a North American audience, it needs to follow what North American sports fans are used to. But we have now talked about the jerseys for far too long. Let's talk about the actual game in which the jerseys were being worn. So going into this game, Toronto and Nola had played five games previously. Um, Nola had won four. Toronto had won only one. And each game had been within eight points of the either team. So the, high, so the highest, goal, uh, highest point difference was eight points. And I think that was back in 2021, where it was Toronto 10, Nola 18 or something. That was not the case for this game, because even though Nola got the scoring started with a try from Cam Dolan, it quickly became Toronto's game. Toronto scored eight tries in this game, all unique try scorers. First off was uh, Salmon, then Tafuga, then Sheridan. And in the second half, we had Richardson, Keith, Detoy, McCrory, and McRogers. Two McRs in there. Um, and there are a lot of tries I want to talk about. Um, but the two that I want to focus on are in the second half with Keith, and Detoy. Uh, so Keith um, was from the lineout. It was the lineout was split. Uh, Nola's defense five meters out was not in a position to do it. The lineout went far. Um, Keith ro- barreled through the middle as the ball was passed back to him, able to cross over the line. This is something that has come out of like the All Blacks World Cup playbook from. 2011 which means carlos spencer should have saw that coming he should have should have it should have been very disappointing from him absolutely <laughs> for absolutely yeah. for not being able to stop cole keith from barreling over the line so if you want if you want someone to blame nola that's your guy cole keith too man hottest try score in the league right now he's got a little streak going yeah he's not doing uh, too bad for himself and then uh, we had Detoy. So this came from <laughs> an assist from Sam Malcolm, who uh, confused everyone. But this was obviously 4D chess from Sam Malcolm. He were, everyone thought he was going to kick between the posts and get a penalty. But uh, we know that Sam's kicking accuracy is so good. We've heard from Andrew Ferguson of how he was able to hit that small mark five times in a row in training. He was yeah. clearly aiming to hit the post so that it would ricochet down. Uh, Detoy would be able to collect it and he would be able to score the try because you know what's better than three points? Five points. And that was just fantastic to watch. That's been uh, repeated on... Oh, uh, man, it's amazing. Rugby Network, MLR, uh, the Arrow social media accounts as well. It's it's just fantastic to watch. And it's something that's happened in uh, internationals as well. I remember Italy uh, scoring a try like that in... Uh, the Six Nations, I think, in either 2017 or 2018, ricocheting off the post and scoring a try against England yeah. to um, have them lead at the half. And then, of course, in the second half, England got wise to their schemes and was able to get the win. But, you know, absolutely no quit from this team. Um, to Fugger's try 
was just powering through, uh, not letting any uh, tackle connect and able to get the seven-pointer. Uh, Sheridan, again, um, excellent back work from, well, excellent work from the backs to able to get the ball out of Sheridan. That's another nasty assist from Malcolm, too. Yeah, that, that was... Not that was, that quite was, as good as banking it off the post. But. No, but, you know, you, you have to say that for special occasions. Yeah, you have yeah, to exactly. just have... Um, no, Richardson getting a try right from the start. Like I think that was it within ninety seconds of the restart. Yeah, yeah, um, that was pretty quick. Yeah. Um, uh, McCrory getting his first try in um, Arrows Colors, although that was that was mainly done by the line break from Lonnie Falavia. and yeah, off to McCrory and under the post, another seven pointer, not a problem. Um, and then McRogers getting the final try for the Arrows. Um, Team lead now. Jack McRogers. Yeah, Jack McRogers. Uh, most uh, tries scored this year. Um, so the final score was Toronto 53, Nola 36. And now we say that, obviously, winning by 17 points is fantastic. However... I think the arrows were pretty um, dismayed by how how their defenses lapsed in the final twenty minutes, especially yeah. if you look at the scoring chart. Um, it was that Nola were able to get tries in the 69th, 77th, and 80th minute, and it was the 77th minute try that guaranteed that Nola would get the uh, try bonus point. Yeah, so it's um, pretty. So that's pretty concerning because this has also been a case of, you know, um, last week against DC, it was in discipline. This week, it's defense. It's something beginning with a D that <laughs> keeps uh, coming back to bite the arrows on the backside. Uh, but and and you know, obviously, even if Nola had won this game and won with a bonus point win the arrows would still be ahead. But, you know, we are getting to the business end of the season. And even if you're not making the playoffs, it's going to be the difference for when you get um, up to like the draft pick and that there. And even if you're um, not doing draft picks, it's then focusing on like trades you can get from the draft pick for the following season. So, you know, you need to be able to ensure that your team can get where they need to be. Obviously, Everyone wants to make the playoffs, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be able to, because obviously uh, 13 doesn't fit into six. Yeah, it's a kind of so it's a bit concerning at the moment. And, you know, especially when it comes up against teams that have very little mercy. Well, I mean, the Eastern Conference as a whole has shown to be pretty merciless, especially yeah. when you look at teams like Atlanta, New England, uh, even uh, New York. Like, we know that. If you give these teams an inch, they'll take a mile. And, you know, as we're getting to the point where the Arrows know that if they want to make the playoffs, they have to be getting the bonus points wins. So, you know, you can't be allowing teams that can severely punish you to get back into the game. And, you know, when, when we're at the stadium, we can't obviously see what's on screen of what the Arrows need to do. But obviously playing for the full 80 minutes seems to be something that's uh, been concerning over the past two weeks. And, you know, this coming week, they're not going to be at home. They're not going to have home advantage. They're having, they're heading down to Houston. And, 
you know, they need to ensure that when they're going down there, that they'll be able to put in the performance that, you know, can get them a win, ideally a bonus point win, but they need to ensure that uh, they're not letting Houston creep back into the game, especially within the final 20 minutes that has happened this week and last week. And as we've um, seen from Houston uh, this week, especially against LA, they're not a team to be trifled with. They can, they're, they're, that's a team that uh, LA has lost to at the start of the season and has only been able to beat them by uh, five points. So Houston were able to get the losing bonus point against LA, the defending champions. So, you know, this is, so on the whole, I want to be very positive. Obviously, it's the highest score. Oh, sound too positive. <laughs> well, that's it. Well, that, I started positive and now I've just been um, constructively criticizing, I believe, um, is the excuse I'll use. And, you know, you, because we as fans, we obviously want to see the Arrows make the playoffs. We want to see them lift the shield. But in order to get to that point, they need to be able to like tighten up their defenses when it comes to the final 20 minutes. They need to like, not give away any yellow cards. They need to not be giving away any uh, silly penalties. Their discipline and was great in this game. Exactly. Discipline I mean, was really, great. And then yeah. defense seemed to be lacking. So you need to be able to be hitting all these points carefully. You need to have cool heads. You need to have the gamesmanship to be in the right position as well for what you're trying to achieve. And, you know, because I know we've been talking about New England are going to be facing New York uh, twice between now and the end of the season. And, you know, that will obviously, whichever way that goes, will benefit Toronto. But you can't be, you don't want to be in a position where you're dependent on another team winning or losing to be able to make the playoffs. You want to be able to rubber stamp it yourself and be able to say, like, right, no matter what the other teams do, we know we're in the quest for the shield. Um, sure. uh, something else I want to mention, um, you know, congrats. Uh, Nola put in a fantastic performance. Cam Dolan with the first point and the first score of the game. Cam Dolan. Um, one of the most irritating players because he's so good. I think probably has the best gamesmanship out of any player in MLR, I'd say. And, you know, especially uh, well done to be yeah, able to captain um, Nola for another year. Obviously, uh, Wheeler, um, Tonga Uhia, which I believe, who I believe got his 50th uh, MLR cap this game yeah, is him that and uh him and jp duplessis both got yes jp duplessis was also very good in this game too he just yeah. his yeah. opposite number happened to be the best player in the game though but <laughs> i know and then you, you do what you can with what's uh yeah. available to you and you know congrats and you know obviously well done uh mitch vorilek had another fantastic game you know uh ronan foley again possible contender for man of the match award uh you know, disappointing to see Kyle Bailey uh, hobble off mm-hmm. after uh, Salmon's try. Uh, the but then situation we... keeps on rolling. Absolutely. But it also meant we got to see Tommy De La Vega play his first um, game for Toronto in Toronto yeah. much earlier off the bench, you know, coming back from his injury. Which is wild considering he's been on the team for three years to really think about how long it's taken him to actually be able to play a game in Toronto. Exactly. With a bunch of wild circumstances for that. But yeah, I get Sam Malcolm. Fantastic assistance as always. (laughs) The front row. 
Yeah, Weta Tafuga back from injury as well. The, yeah, the front row. Keith, the front Keith, Keith, unreal well, right now. The front row and its replacement was Oh, phenomenal. when I say the front row, I mean all of them, all six of them. They're, yeah, they're exactly. They're playing unreal right now. Yeah, Keith, um, Quatrin, Salmon, and then Faleva, McRogers, well, Roland, all coming on, all doing... I mean, obviously, yeah. uh, Faleva doing the business to help oh. get the uh, McCrory try. Yeah, exactly. I, I was going to say, like, Salmon, Keith, and McRogers all have tries. Faleva set up another try. Um, yeah. Quatrin was absolute money on uh, yeah. lineup throws. You know, also not to mention just, like, his work rate is insane. Um, right? Same with McRogers. McRogers leads the team in, in, uh, in try scoring right now. Wild. Reserve mm-hmm. hooker leads the team in try scoring. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Tyler Rowland, too, he's been playing great. Um, they're getting penalties at the scrum. Um, yeah. They're doing well in the line at the set piece in the lineouts. Their work rates are off the charts. They're among the, the team leaders. And like those guys are among the team leaders game in, game out. And like, you know, it might not be the same guy every game, but ball, like carries, meter, you know, but carries, tackles and stuff like they're they're uh, they're playing phenomenal. And it's like they're playing especially like the starters are going deep too, like 65. It's like 60, 65, 70 minute games sometimes. Yeah. Um, but like the uh the reserve guys are coming on and making a huge impact too. Uh also gonna mention Donato and McCrory. McCrory yeah, getting killing it. his first try for the arrows, but obviously these guys coming in uh midway through the season, able to just well. slot in and you know, just doing fantastic work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also got a um shout out for Nick Feeks, uh for Nola Gold for like being able to move into the fly half position, as well as uh, Ross Deppenschmidt for going off, coming off the bench yeah. uh, to start on the Obligatory wing. Obligatory Eric Howard showed out too. He played. Yeah, got got a shout out there for uh, Canadian Eric He's Howard. The, uh, he had the same issue as a uh, JP two plus C in this game. Like he played really well. It's just too bad the uh, the guy across from him was better. Yeah, I know it's a uh, it's a it's a shame, but think, uh, it is what it is. Yeah, like looking at this game, I think um, just as a whole. Yeah, like it sounded like I got the feeling like talk, like doing some of the post-match interviews and stuff that um yeah, the arrows probably aren't thrilled about you know that kind of that late Nola surge at the end toward the end of the game. Um yeah. a couple tries there. Um one try that got called back uh by a TMO uh review for a forward pass as well. Um so it's like so there, there was that. Uh, I don't think they were th- overly thrilled about that late surge, you know, because it's like obviously, like they're they're probably more critical on themselves than anybody. <laughs> yeah, especially uh, that's how just how coaching staffs and play uh, elite athletes are. Um, so I mean, I'm sure they're going to kind of dissect that. It did make it. It does make me kind of think that it's like. Um, uh, I remember, like when I uh, was a kid, um, our local hockey arena had like this old. I think it was like an old Titan ad. Um, Titans, the stick that uh, Wayne Gretzky used to use way back in the day. Okay. And uh, it basically, the ad was the best. It said, it's just a picture of the stick, and it said the best defense is a 10 goal lead. Um, and that was the ad for this, right? Yeah. And, uh, that's fair. So I was kind of like, so like looking at this, is like, hey, I mean, they, uh, no, so I mean, I don't know. Um, yes, they, they need to look at some of those tries. Yes. Um, it's probably not good that it's not good that a lot of those tries were able to be scored by Nola late in the game. But at the same time, when you start that, when like you won by 17, 
Um, yeah. At no point during any of that NOLA come any of those NOLA tracks where I was like, this is, this is making me nervous. No. It's like th- this game is, was very much well in hand to the point where that NOLA mm-hmm. comeback still fell what 17 points short. Yeah. Right. Like it's um, so, I mean, if you, and I think that's where I kind of want to focus. I, the, the criticism of allowing the tries is valid. Um, but like the attack in this game was phenomenal um, when they got the ball in their hands. Um, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. it's the highest point total they've ever put up at home. So that's a fun yeah. little stat too. Um, eight different try, eight tries, eight different try scores um, yeah. coming in from a variety of ways. You had obviously Salmon with the mall. Um, mm-hmm. right on the back of a mall to fuga set piece at the scrum, right? Kind of set that out. Um, I like I said, it was like, and as you mentioned, just runs over Nick Feeks, yeah. Um, just runs him over. Um, and uh, sh- the big thing too is like Sheridan again, another nice play, you know, working through some phases. They get the ball out. The forwards doing a lot of great work until Malcolm sees the opening, gets the ball out to the wing. Richardson again you mentioned how quick that was the Keith try excellent line out play a different way of scoring at the line out than Salmon the the you know just has I'm sure that's exactly how Peter Smith drew that play up yeah. um and then yeah McCrory again face work break finding holes McRogers going back to the line out ball right so they're scoring tries in a lot of different ways the attack is working really well the big turning point of this game too like being realistic um, and I know it never feels this way when it happens over halftime. It never feels like it when it's over halftime, but the arrow scored four tries in under just under 10 minutes. Yeah. In this game, right. Between, I think to fuck to, to fuck us try is like the 35th, 36th minute. And then Cole Keith scored in like the 45th. Yeah. Right. Um, so Richard's shared in and, and those, the, the biggest momentum shifters, in in any sport is in rugby and and probably a handful of other sports too. If you score right before the break or right after the break, that's a huge momentum shift. If you score right before and right after, it's yeah. a massive momentum shift, right? And you add in, so yeah, they scored two try four tries in ten minutes, um, which gave them that wide lead. Um, that you know, despite Nola's best efforts, they weren't able to come back from. Uh, so yeah, I think like, so overall, I mean, you, you, I think you do have, um, a little bit that yeah, like you should be a little, con- like, I don't think they're going to be happy looking at the tape of how those tries got scored. Um, right. And I don't think they're going to be happy necessarily looking at the tape of the one that didn't get scored either. Um, right. Even though, you know, it's nice to be on the right side of a TMO call for once, but I don't think they're going to yeah. be super thrilled about, um, even that, um, but, you know, so, I mean, there's probably going to be some film sessions looking at the, at those tries, but, you know, like I said, it's like, like that, uh, that sign at the, the rink set, it's like best defense is a, you know, an insane lead, um, yeah. which could help. And it's, you know, they offense rolling like that. And, you know, I think like the arrows defense still played really well. They shut down a lot of NOLA opportunities and stuff. It just seemed like, uh, you know, toward the end of the game. Not not quite to the uh, but like it is a thing like the players were talking about that after the game right both uh both Thomas De La Vega and Lucas Rumball when I did my post match interviews with it that was like one of their key things that they they brought up that they viewed that needs to be worked on right um 
So I, I agree with you in that set. I'm trying to put the positive spin on it. That'd be like, Hey, that they, st- even with that, even if you're like, that's, that's the best thing for a team. I think it's like you win that big and you're like, we can play a lot better than this. Yeah. It's a good mentality to see that. Like, right. It's like the, the, uh, you know, the team's still growing. Um, playoff race shall we get into that because the playoff race is getting a little interesting now too it is we're now also in the stage where we are beginning to mathematically eliminate certain teams from this uh we're only really eliminating dallas and dc at this point in time though maybe you No. no yeah as in so mathematically if dallas lose and i believe it's uh seattle or san diego win with a bonus point yeah then uh, Dallas officially becomes the first team eliminated from playoff contention. And then I think uh, Dallas's result this weekend, which we'll get to later, um, keeps them keeps their hopes alive a little bit longer. But uh, yeah, if we're talking about like how the swing of momentum is going, it seems as though that Utah is out of this playoff race for... Dallas is the only team in jeopardy of being actually mathematically eliminated right now, though, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, I think kind of like looking at it, the East is, uh, I think the East is very interesting. I mean, both conferences are super tight. Uh, The West right now, you got Austin, LA, and then you have three, five, and five teams where the only thing that separates them is the amount of bonus points that they have. Um, and then, you know, and then you got Utah and Dallas at the bottom of the table, um, Toronto, obviously with the win and all three of new England, Atlanta and New York being on a bye week have now the bonus point win have now moved into third place. Um, they have 30 points, which is tied. them at six and four has 30 points, which is tied with New York six and three and 30 points. The difference, though, thanks to New York getting absolutely slaughtered by L.A. two weeks ago is uh, that the arrows have a better point differential. Um, they're plus 14. New York's plus six. So that's the separator right now. And as we kind of mentioned, it's uh so obviously, like you mentioned, Houston, the, uh, definitely not the, the Sabercats of old. That's going to be a huge game because both this is a huge game as as probably as big as a cross conference game can possibly be at this stage of the season um, between Houston and Toronto, because both teams are just, you know, at the edge of the playoff race or whatever, trying to claw their way into the playoffs permanently. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Yeah, so that's going to be a absolute. That's going to be an absolutely massive game for Toronto down in Houston, um, and yeah, like you said, like Houston, Houston has been playing well. They're definitely not the Saber Cats of old, but they're also you know similar to like, but they're also like barely hanging on to five hundred too. That's just a. It's kind of wild how the teams in the West are all kind of like, you know, there's only two teams above five hundred in the seven team Western Conference, right? So yeah, it's a, it's kind of a wild situation that they got going there versus. There's four teams above 500 in the East, which has one less team, right? So, um, uh, so it's it is kind of it's kind of wild looking at that. But um, I think like so. Let me ask. I want to ask you something though. If you're we're as Toronto Arrows fans right now, we're looking at a game this week in which New England plays New York. Yes. Just as a, I'm not asking for a prediction, but as an Arrows fan, who do you want to see win this game? And I, hmm. I, I'm not going to give you the cop out of picking draw either, because that's probably 
Really? That's what you'd pick. Well, no, but I'm like, that might, I don't even know if a draw is the best outcome. I don't know if you want both teams getting points. Like, no. you know what I mean? I mean, so, I mean, at this stage in the competition, it's also a case of if New England win, they extend their position at the top of the Eastern Conference, which means it's more than likely that they'll be getting the uh, conference final yeah. um, slot. But if New, but if, New York, if New York win, then they'll be pushing Toronto Arrows out of playoff contention altogether or, you know, challenging Toronto for their playoff uh, position. So it's a question of, do you want to risk it to try and make it further into the Eastern Conference to be able to get closer to either a home um, semi-final berth or final berth, or do you just need to get into the uh, playoff race as a whole? So on that regard, because Toronto are currently third in the East and you know they're tied on points with New York, who have a game in hand at this moment in time, I think it is probably for Toronto's best interest that it's New England that wins this game, ideally with a margin that denies New York any losing bonus point. Um, Because again, you want to be in a position where it's Toronto doing their um, work to make it further up. You don't want to be relying on other teams to do the work for you. I don't think the arrows are in like a position of like scoreboard watching at this point in time. I think, you know, like you said, it's like they they are officially in a playoff spot as it stands right now. As you mentioned, there's a game hand on, on them, but like, I don't think knowing that they still have to play all three of these teams. Also knowing that all three of the teams of New England, ATL, and New York all have to play each other in various combinations and amounts of games, right? Um, with, you know, six games remaining for the Arrows, uh, this, like, you're not in, like, we need this team to win yet. We're not. You're not. But yeah. I think I kind of agree with the idea of, like, if New England pulls away, eh, they pull away or whatever. I think I'd like to see New York kind of hang out at the uh, the bottom still and give the arrows the opportunity to come out of the by their own bye week two weeks from now because the arrows are going to come out of their bye week and play New York at home. Yeah. Right. So you're going to get the table being level as far as the games played, regardless of what the outcomes are this weekend. Right. So an, an arrows win against Houston, so keeping the positive spin going here, an arrows win against Houston with a New York loss, right. Will then uh, you know, with a New York loss, to, who does New York play in during the Arrows bye week? Nola, Nola. Okay, so that's a that's a good game too. Um, but so a the you know an Arrows win against Houston with a New York loss against New England, and then whatever happens in New York, Nola, right? Like the Arrows and in, there's a possibility that the Arrows and New York come out of go in come into their game i believe it may 8th mother's day i think it is yeah. in toronto right they could be going into that there's a possibility that they're going into that game with the same record right with at the same with the same amount of games played too 
right? So you go into that, and then like that game right now is absolutely massive given what the standings look like right now. Yeah. That's going to be wild. Get your tickets. Yes. Go to the, uh, the arrows.com. Yeah, you can get your tickets from torontoarrows.com. That's going to be amazing. Yeah, All so right. that game's going to be wild. So, I mean, yeah. All right. Out. Okay, we've, we've been talking about the future a bit too much. We have to talk about the other games that happened this weekend. And we're starting off with the Good Friday fixture between DC and Utah. And, you know, glory comes <laughs> every now and again. And as we're saying, they were wearing their um, Japanese uh, Blossom kits as part of the... Uh, City jerseys that MLR seems to be doing this season. And we had DC DC hosting Utah. Utah coming off their bye week. What can I say? It uh, started off and it seemed to be, you know, same old story. Utah getting the first score in, in the sixth minute. And then we had Junior Saru scoring the first try for uh, DC. Conversion gets missed. Uh, next thing that happens, uh, Utah get a penalty and they're back in the lead. Uh, well, they're still in the lead because, uh, sorry, the first try was a seven-pointer. Uh, it's another try for DC, so they're calling back and another conversion miss, so it's 10-all. And then three minutes later, it's another penalty for Utah. And, you know, so we go into the break, it's 10-13, and then... And we're talking about momentum of like scoring before or after the game, after halftime. Well, two minutes after halftime, Mikey Teo scores for Utah, racks the points up. Next thing you know, we have another penalty for Utah as well, taking them to 21. Then we have Jameson Fernanda Schultz back from his uh, suspension. Scoring a try in the 60th minute, and then in the uh, the cherry blossom scrum cap too. He went all out with the style. So before uh, Fernanda Schultz's try, uh, Utah got a yellow card to Tua Bau in the just a minute earlier, and then Utah get another yellow card in the 74th minute, meaning that they will end the game with 14 players. Um, this allows uh, Coleman to get over the whitewash in the 76th minute and allows the only conversion of the game to give DC a one-point lead. The clock goes red, and Utah, uh, on, Utah and DC are doing a bit of back and forth. DC concede a penalty within penalty range. Uh, Whiting steps up, kicks the ball, it goes wide. DC get their first win of the season in Week 10. DC 22, Utah 21. Yeah. Um, so DC, we're totally rocking the Cherry Blossom kits all year now. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's definitely it. Um, but yeah, gutsy win from Old Glory, man. Uh, I think we mentioned last week, it was uh, like, we were like, the way they're playing, uh, how close they played. Yeah, um, the, the mentor was close they played definitely York, with them. How close they played Toronto um, with that comeback attempt that fell short. Like the, the win was coming and, you know, what on I know uh Mock was kind of in the bin earlier. They had to bring on a bring on the uh you know bring on the prop back on. What an absolutely massive scrum win against the feed uh to set up Coleman's try. Yeah, that was phenomenal. Um, just absolutely massive. And then 
Yeah, man, you know everybody was holding their breath on that penalty call, though. Like, oh, absolutely. You could see the, the, re- the uh, reaction from watch it, yeah. fans in the crowd, the players on the There's- pitch, even the monument man on Twitter like stopped tweeting for a solid 10 minutes and now I was there's pretty a, sure they'd have a heart attack or yeah. something. There's, there's but, if watching the video, there's a handful of like old glory players that are not watching that kick. Oh, absolutely. It's like, yeah, it's um, yeah. Which, which could be a bad thing as we, as a Giuseppe de Troyes kind of um, <laughs> what he proved in this yeah. game. Like you should pay attention to those kicks. Um, but yeah, but just uh, you know, it's just great, great to see them get a win, man. Like, I mean, yeah, I know, like, you know, I know this is I, it's pro sports. There, every year, there's going to be a champion. Every year, someone's going to finish last. It's just yeah. the way it is. Uh, but man, is you never want to see anybody go winless, though. Yeah, right. And it's like it's it's just it's it is like as a fan, like uh, like I as a. I guess more as I've not, I wouldn't say I'm a neutral fan. I guess I'm an arrows fan, but like, you know, as an MLR fan. Yeah. As an MLR fan. Thank you, Stu. That's the wording I'm looking for. Like, I'm happy to see them get a win. Yeah. Um, It's nice. Good for them. They should be wearing, they should be wearing the, um, the the cherry blossom blossom kit for the rest of the year. Absolutely. You know, the new kit, the new kit might work, man. It didn't work for Dallas, but did you notice that Utah dropped their new kit today? Yes. So that that's looks- what's gonna pull them out as well. By the yeah. way, that kid is amazing. All right. The snow okay. with the tree, the green trees, it's amazing. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna move on to the next game that was up there. Well, there were two games that held at the same time, so we'll be on the Pacific Coast and we'll go with LA. Um, so they were hosting Houston, you know, after their dominant performance over New York. Was it going to be more of the same or was Houston going to get and uh, do the double over LA as they had at the start of the season? And, you know, we've obviously mentioned it earlier. This is a game that proved that, you know, even though LA did win, Houston can still boss it with uh, like the big guys of the league. You know, they've come a long way. We talk about teams, not, uh, you never want to see a team go, um, without a win all season, but Houston had the most uh, washouts last season with two games and we say, I think it was like two or three games that they maybe didn't score a single point. And yeah, they were bad last year. Yeah. So obviously um, getting the win over the defending champions at the start of the season was a great way to start the season. And, you know, this is absolutely a, Great game as well. Unfortunately, we do have to talk about uh, the unfortunate news that um, sole Canadian for Houston, Robbie Povey, um, picked up a knee injury right at the start of the game. So it looks like there'll be a no Canadian representation from Houston next week, which is disappointing. But obviously wishing uh, Robbie the swiftest of recoveries and we hope to see him back before the end of the season. But if not... Um, of year recover as soon as possible. If we can't see you in a uh, Sabercats jersey, we want to see you in a Canadian jersey as soon as possible as well. Um, consistent pressure that LA put on Houston. And to, well, it's only four tries were scored and they were shared between both teams with uh, a penalty try from scum in, uh, scrum infringements. Not scum. <laughs> and uh, Hanko Gurmich is getting the second um try in the 
uh, like 10 minutes later in the first half. And then LA were like held for the remainder of the scoring opportunity. The only other scores was uh, Christian Dyer scoring a try in the 52nd minute for uh, Houston. And then after De Beer got yellow carded, um, Burton was able to score the only penalty of the game for LA, um, which just puts it out of uh, contention, really. They're able to just carry on from there. Final score, LA 17, Houston 12. So, yeah, this definitely looks like it's going to be a tough encounter when the Toronto boys head uh, down to Texas next week. Yeah, no, it should be a good game, good test. Um, LA, two on fire right now, five in a row. Just uh, struggled a little bit out the gate, had some injury issues, but I guess now that they're getting some guys back and stuff too, right? They're, uh, yeah. They look like they're returning to the uh, the dominant form that uh, they were last year. Adam Gilchrist's teams owning the top of the table at the moment. Well, top of the West at the moment. Top of the West. Um, sure. Anyway, so we carry along the Pacific Coast a bit north to Starfire Stadium, where, you know, if the, if, uh, the LA-Houston game was all about uh, defensive efforts, then Seawall's Legion was all about attacking efforts. Because... And behind the back passes. Uh, yeah. Well, that's part of attacking play <laughs> as well. Um, you know, this was a tri-fest um, from pretty much like quarter way through the game onwards. Um, you had Seattle scoring four tries, San Diego scoring five, uh, one, only one of which was a, a seven-pointer. Um, but, you know, it comes down to discipline. Uh, San Diego got a yellow card in the 59th minute, which allowed a... Uh, penalty for Creel to be scored in the 62nd. And yeah, it's this was just an insane game because it was like end to end stuff. Is you know, um, Ayasifu scored the first try of the game in the 34th minute, and then Malcolm scored his first try in the 27th. And you just get right to the end, and it looks like Seattle with their, had their final scoring opportunity in the 62nd minute with that um, Creel try. And then in 69th, Tarori scored, and then Malcolm got his second. And San Diego realized that, you know, they have five minutes to potentially win the game. You know, penalty, drop goal, try, anything that can happen. And then, it you know, it's that classic thing from Seattle, their seawall held out for the final four or five minutes until the clock went red, kicked it out into touch. And yeah, it's a one that you want to sit back from. And even as a neutral fan, just take a little breather just to get that all out of you. The one disappointing thing I've got to mention about this game, though, was the uh, lack of Canadians. Uh, Reed Watkins, Pat Lynott and Josh Thiel listed for uh, Seattle and San Diego, respectively, but didn't feature in the game. Although that said, we have um, uh, Michael Smith uh, starting and replaced by Chris Robshaw in the 55th minute with uh, Jason Higgins doing the full 80 for San Diego. And we also had uh, Travis Larson come off the bench for the final 12 minutes, replacing Andrew Duratalo. So yeah, you know, well done for uh, Higgins for doing the full eighty, and it's a uh, yeah, and also Chris Robshaw helped set up one of the uh, like one of the one of those final two tries for San Diego. So you know, the uh, the old dog still uh, got some bite left in him. Yeah, so, uh, Michael Smith taught him everything he knows. Um, exactly. 
Yeah. Also, man, another game that's like so shows you how important kicks are, right? Like, yeah, Joe Peterson oh. one for four on conversions. Yeah, that's uh, a two dis- point game, man. Versus Alatimu four for four on conversions, two for two on penalties. Uh, yeah, that's the thing, and, and the- one unreal behind the back pass. To oh yeah, let's try. Yeah, uh, uh, if if you haven't if you haven't seen the game already, the highlights are on YouTube and the Rugby Network. Definitely one to watch. Okay, and then we come to the final game of the week, and this was another Texan tussle. Are we going to do a full autopsy here? Or are we just going to be like, yeah, this uh, the blowout? Yeah, uh, yeah, they're dead. There we go. <laughs> autopsy done. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as in this was the thing. This was, was a case another... of the new kits not working. Yeah, on the plus side. Yeah. For the yeah. Dallas Jackals, you have the best yeah. kit in the league, so that's cool. Yeah, well, it seems as though a team that has been hampered by injury has just had more and more come on with um, Alejandro Torres um, going off the field with a knee injury, and that meant that uh, Pennell, who was a uh, fullback, moved to fly half. Campbell uh, Johnson dropped to fullback, and Nondeo uh, was came from the bench to debut. Yeah, to make his MLR debut in the midfield. And this was, I think, in the second minute of the game. You know, absolutely terrible. Um, well, even did, even at that, too, um, like, didn't, like, Asa Carter just came over as part of, like, the cover, like, the loan yeah. from, he was loaned from Austin after um, that walkway accident. Yeah. And he got hurt in this game, too. Yeah, like, the, the jackals just the jackals just can't catch a break, man. Yeah, it's yes. Like, I mean, even during the game, Dallas scored a try that was ruled by the TMO to have been a knock on off the foot of an yeah. Austin player. Which, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I've I've already said that if we're going if we're gonna have TMO and we're gonna have uh, these decisions that can okay in this case doesn't change the outcome of the game it, but it matters, I, 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 yeah it, it matters and it i matters. think it's it's time for not only the teams but the league and even uh the unions are so the um usa rugby and rugby canada needs to do a firm investment into the development and training of referees not just on the field but also tmo as well because yeah. that that was a try clear as day that yeah. it should it should be Austin fifty seven Dallas ten but it's Dallas three instead. Yeah, I think uh, man, yeah, I, I I wish they got that one. Yeah, like I said though, that's the that's the uh, the th- that's the exact epitome of this team cannot catch a break. Yeah, um, right. And you know, it, it's definitely initially goes down on the Austin defender's foot, but then he kind of shifts it off and looks to ground it. But you know, it is what it is. Um, the one thing though. I, I will it's like every point does matter because point differential is a big tiebreaker in this league and can determine final standing spots. Um, yeah. So even that try, would that affect the overall outcome of this game? No, but does it, would it affect Austin's point differential? Yes. Yeah. Which could be something that comes into play. Who knows? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you do have to get those things right. Um, yeah. TM, um, I think just overall is the, the from the TMO, it's just, it's definitely nice to have it in the league, um, but uh, there's there's some kinks that still need to be worked out on, and um, I believe that was something in the uh, the Rugby Canada actual Rugby Canada like um, 
high performance review too was they yeah like yeah a, a different investment into like the more investment into the, the officiating and stuff too which um i think i think overall like over the past five years and the, the officials in mlr have gotten a lot better and i would yeah. imagine that um you give tmo you give like the the tmos time you give them proper training and stuff it'll be uh it'll become a smooth process i mean i think though, like the important thing is like even the important thing to remember too is like even even in like the premiership or like the world cup or you know the the leagues and competitions that have been using tmo a lot longer um not every tmo call is going to be perfect anyways just like not every ref decision will be perfect but you always yeah. want to kind of minimize that but uh I, I don't know if it's it, it just feels I don't know if this is really the call to be having that conversation on, but uh, it just feels like nothing's going Dallas's way at the moment. Yeah, no, it's a shame. Okay, we're gonna quickly blitz through the sevens that happened this weekend over in Vancouver, but let's focus on the men's competition that happened. So we start off with a very difficult uh, pool opening round against um, Australia, twenty six ten, two tries by Russell and Thiel. Then a loss to South Africa in the blitz box, uh, 19-14. Uh, Richard and Coates able to score tries, but fortunately South Africa able to nail that one. And then finally, the first win of the weekend against Spain, 21-26, with tries from Richard, Ergus, Prevos, and Webster. Then on the Sunday, we moved into the playoffs for the ninth place. In, yeah, I believe it's like the ninth place final. And for that, we had Canada face against Japan, a dominant win, 29-5 to the Canadians with Berner, Thiel, Ngongo scoring tries and Russell scoring two. Then they had a close fixture against Scotland, uh, winning that game 22-26 with Webster scoring two tries, Thiel and Russell scoring one each. And then they face Ireland for the ninth place final. And unfortunately, it was a loss. Uh, the final score, 7-17, with Ngongo being the only try scorer from that game. And that put Canada in the final place of 10th in the weekend's competition. Also got to mention that Argentina uh, won the gold medal match in the cup final, uh, beating Fiji 29-10. Australia, who Canada played in that opening game, finished third. So... You know, not too bad. And South Africa finishing fifth. But there was a big announcement that happened in the world of sevens rugby and men's sevens especially as Dan Norton announced that he would be retiring following the conclusion of the Vancouver sevens. Dan Norton, not only a legend for England sevens, but uh, world sevens as a whole. Uh, the top try scorer in his career with 358 tries, scored over 470 matches in 91 competitions. And Dan Norton competed in both the 2016 and 2021 Olympics, receiving the silver medal uh, 2016 uh, Olympic Games. So I know Dan is a huge fan of the podcast, obviously. Uh, just want to wish him all the best in retirement. And uh, thank you for everything you've done for sevens and rugby as a whole yeah what a what a legend it'd be crazy to uh, look back on that i think is his last uh his last time on the pitch was uh in canada so it should be uh man yeah just one of the greatest players of all time man so it's uh yeah definitely uh, he got a real nice ovation from that vancouver crowd too so you know any, anytime a player of that magnitude uh hangs them up it's definitely uh noteworthy and 
yeah, yeah. unreal career. Looked like a real fun tournament. Nice to see Brock Webster just scoring tries wherever he goes this year. Um, that's nice. Alex Russell also, as a, the former Arrows, continue to contribute to Rugby Canada's try scoring mm-hmm. totals at these seven tournaments. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, that was real, real good to see. Nice W over Scotland um, toward the end of the tournament too. Um, you know, played South Africa real tight. Um, just uh, yeah, you know, it's a it was a, a good tournament. Nice to see Canada put in a good a good showing, even if yeah, yeah. The, these guys are obviously you know it's building, after, building. yeah it's it's building the new team for and they're, still, and they're missing next olympics stuff the world cup later this year and the commonwealth game so it'll be interesting to see how the lads progress all right so if you are looking to watch any rugby this weekend we have good news because we know where it's on if you are looking to watch the women's six nations you can watch that on the zone the Premiership and URC return after the latest round of the champions and challenge cup and you can find that on sportsnet if you are looking for the Super Rugby Pacific competition, you can find that on TSN. Japan League One and other non-Arrows uh, MLR games are available on the Rugby Network. And the Arrows versus Houston match will be this Saturday at 8pm on the TSN app and TSN website. Which comes to our predictions for round 12. And I am feeling in a good mood because I went 5-0 and last round. There you go. So... I expect to go zero and five. Well, zero and six <laughs> this round. So, but the first game we have up, three games we have at 8 p.m. Eastern time this Saturday. Great work, MLR. Actually, yeah. games is hard. It's fine. The first game we have is Houston versus Toronto. Derek, who are you picking? Uh, Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. Keep this rolling. Let's Absolutely. Yeah, got to keep the momentum going. I know Houston are going to be far different from when they faced them in 2019 and 2021. They're still going to lose. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Okay, next up, we have Nola versus Austin. So who have you got for this one? You know, I think I think I'm at this point in the season where it's like I want to make all my picks based on what would help the arrows the most. Um, so all Eastern Conference teams can lose to Western Conference teams now. So I'll take Austin. Fair enough. Austin, it is. And, you know, obviously that dominant performance against Dallas and Nola just being on another losing game, even though they did get the try bonus point, I will go with Austin as well. Okay, the third game that is happening this Saturday at 8pm is DC versus Dallas. Now, DC oh, yeah. have finally got the win. Uh, Derek, you did say you didn't want to see a team go yeah, winless this I, season. I guess, I guess I don't want to see a team go winless. And I guess based on the logic I just presented for uh, the uh, the Noah Austin game there, um, yeah, I guess I'll go Dallas based on my logic there. Uh, yeah, I don't want to see a team go winless and don't want to see any teams in the Eastern Conference win games right now. So let's go Dallas. Right. Why not? All right. Well, as you said, it seems as though Dallas can't catch a break. No, they and can't. No, they can't at all. No. And in that case, then, they won't get a break from me. <laughs> so I will be going with DC. I'm just giving Dallas support now. Just I know. Well, somebody has you, to. You, you got to wear, you gotta wear your cap during that game. You just have to, man. Yeah, it's at some point. Someone, yeah, someone has to be nice to them. All right. And then we have Utah versus Seattle. This will be held at Zion Bank Stadium. And... 
you know, Utah had Utah did push DC close, mm. uh, just in discipline. You know, they've got a new coach as well, or new coaching structure, I should say. However, Seattle, um, that seawall seems to have returned. And, you know, I still think there are a few things that Utah need to iron out that Seattle can capitalize on. So I will be going with Seattle. I think I'm going to agree with you on that one, Seattle. All right, fair enough. Okay, now, Derek, unfortunately, it's um, you can't pick an Eastern team to lose to a Western team because there's two Eastern teams playing. Mm-hmm. We have New York hosting New England at JFK Stadium. I think, uh, yeah, I'm still going to pick this based on what I'm thinking might be the best for the Arrows overall outlook, which, as we kind of talked about, might be for New England to just win this game and hold New York down the table here. So I think uh, I think I'll pick New England. Also, I just like in general, I think like New England's just been playing out of their mind this year. Um, coming off a of bye week, mm-hmm. their defense is goddamn incredible. Um, yeah. So it should be fun though. Big rivalry game. Those ones are always tough to uh, tough to pick too. Yeah. So uh, I have to say. So again, if we're choosing the result that benefits Toronto the most, I think. <laughs> Again, it has to be, I have to look at the long-term picture. And yes, this may help cement New England to get the um, ho- the East Conference home stadium, but you'd at least want to be in the competition to begin with. So mm-hmm. I will also pick New England. And the final game of the weekend, it is San Diego hosting Atlanta. Oh, wow. Oh, you know what? I guess my logic's going to continue. Hey, let's go Legion. Why not? Going with Legion? Makes sense. Why not? I'm All prob- right. I'm probably not doing too well this week. Don't pick with your heart. Don't bet with your heart. It's bad. Yeah. I'm Now, this I'm not entirely uh, 100% sure on because, okay, San Diego lost, but they did put in a rousing effort at the end. And Atlanta, you know, they can have instances of, uh, you know, doing well, and then they'll just falter. Atlanta's better than San Diego. Yeah. Also, yeah. So ultimately, and also Atlanta. just, and also just to be different, I will go and pick Atlanta. Pick Atlanta. That's the smart one. Yeah. All right. All right. So those are our picks for round twelve. And if you want to see the two niche predictions, you can find that on our TikTok account. It is TikTok at the Rouge Rugby. In fact, across all social media platforms, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at the Rouge Rugby. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of the podcast, you can listen to more on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor FM at the Rouge Rugby. And if you'd like to see our beautiful faces, you can do so on our YouTube channel again at the Rouge Rugby. Derek, if people want to find you, where can they do so? At Preset the Jet across all social media platforms. I'm also across all social media platforms, but mainly Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me at Hardman, spelled at H4RDMAN. Well, Derek, thank you for joining me for another episode. And thank you all for joining us. We hope you can join us again next time. <laughs>